choir, please, to stand. Can I ask you, please, to stand for the reading of God's word. From the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 31, verses 1 to, I think, 6. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them, and many fell slain on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines pressed hard after Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and three of his sons and his armor-bearer and, with, with, uh, and all his men died together on that same day. You may be seated. I was at a preaching conference last week with my friend Daryl Young. You might remember Daryl. He preached here a year or so ago. Darrow was recently in India, and walking along the street, he saw a huge sign with a picture of a man on it, and the sign said, a sad demise. And he asked his colleagues about it, this poster, a sad demise, what's that about? And they said, a great guru has just died, and this poster and a number of activities are being held in his honor. And at this conference, Dale said how true this was in the other sense of the world, uh, of the word. This guru dying apart from Jesus was truly a sad demise. The last chapter, which I've just read of 1 Samuel, relates the account of another sad demise. The death of King Saul after an approximately 40-year reign. Death by suicide in a losing battle. The death of a paranoid man who had rejected the word of God and was therefore rejected by God. A reign, as I said a couple of Sundays ago, that began with a stunning military victory when Saul was under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So what happened? What led from his stunning victory to his sad demise? I said a couple weeks ago that the problem lay within his own heart. He had a pattern of rejecting the word of God and then opposing God's chosen king. And that can only lead to destruction. The decline of Saul was absolute. Decline in his character, decline in his authority, his enmity toward David, God's chosen king. So let's follow it 
And as we do, I plead with you to beware of the pattern of Saul, which is very much a danger for us in our day. How easy it is for us to ignore God and to set aside Jesus, the chosen king. So, Saul starts at the top of his game, winning a spectacular victory over the Ammonites, and he probably reigns well for many years. He was king for approximately 40. He was 30 years old when he came to the throne, and his decline doesn't begin until his son Jonathan has all grown up and become a war himself. So he probably reigned a long time and did a good job. First Samuel relates two stories that see the kingdom slipping away from Saul. In the first, Saul has a small force under his control as he prepares for battle. And 1 Samuel 13.3 says that Jonathan defeated the Philistine garrison and, garrison, and then chapter 14 tells the story. Jonathan and his armor bearer, just the two of them, attack and kill 20 men. And the Lord sends the Philistines into a panic. And the Israelites, led by Jonathan, pursue them. But Saul, unbeknownst to Jonathan, has sworn a foolish oath. He says, cursed be any man who eats any food before evening comes, before I have avenged myself on my enemies. So somehow, this has become about Saul, personally. Jonathan doesn't know this, and partway through the day, in order to renew his energy, he eats some honey that he comes across. And at the end of the day, when Saul discovers this, he's about to have Jonathan, his son, killed. But his army defies him and says, basically, no, he is the hero of this day. There is no way you, even though you're king, are going to put Jonathan to death. When Saul calls the people to a place called Gilgal, under instruction from Samuel to wait for him for seven days so Samuel can offer a sacrifice to the Lord, Saul does not wait. To prevent his own army from deserting, he offers the sacrifice himself. So for starters, he defies explicit instructions that only a Levite can offer sacrifice. And then, of course, he disregards the word of God spoken to him through Samuel. So when Samuel does come on the last day, he says to Saul, You have acted foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him as leader of this people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. And when Samuel goes, Saul counts his soldiers. The number has dropped from 2,000 to 600. So in a just over one week long episode of battle and sacrifice, Saul sees his authority defied, his army slips away, and hears that the Lord has stripped his kingdom from him. Not a good week. That's the first story. In the second story, chapter 15, Saul is commanded by God 
to attack the Amalekites and destroy everything. Man, woman, child, cattle, sheep, donkeys, everything. Now, why God has commanded such a thing, I have dealt with in a former sermon um, on our website. If you look for violence in the Old Testament, that sermon will come up and you can listen to it there. I won't speak on it now. But God tells him to destroy everything. What does Saul do? He spared the best and only destroyed the weak. Greed won over obedience. And when Samuel goes to meet him, Saul's not even there. Saul has gone to another place and set up a monument to himself. So now there's pride. And when Samuel does catch up to him and asks why he disobeyed the word of the Lord, Saul deflects responsibility to his own men. And Samuel says again, Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. When Samuel is about to leave, Saul pleads with him, Please, Honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship your God. Not his God. Your God. And the word worship in this instance is to prostrate oneself before the Lord. It's a posture of the body, but not necessarily of the heart. Saul is more concerned with his reputation before his men than with the reality of his own sin. His disobedience, greed, pride, self-absorption have earned God's displeasure and cost him the kingdom. There is no room for these things in the heart of a ruler of God's people. And after these two stories, things just get worse. When God tells Samuel to go to Bethlehem to anoint David as the next king, Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. Apparently, Saul is willing to kill even Samuel to protect his throne. Samuel, the prophet who anointed Saul in the first place and to whom Saul pleaded for the honor of worshiping with him, Saul, Samuel goes ahead and anoints David as king. And with the entrance of David onto the scene, Saul's decline picks up speed while David ascend in favor with God increases. When faced with Goliath, Saul is dismayed and greatly afraid. This man who was the largest Israelite, who they asked for to lead them into battle, who had won great victories in the past, terrified and afraid. But David killed his Goliath. On the army's return, the women greet the soldiers with singing and dancing, but this is what they sang. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. And Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David tens of thousands, and to me, they've ascribed thousands. Pride. After defeating the Israelites' enemies and their enemies' champion, should not Saul have been rejoicing? 
Harry, Harry Truman, former president of the United States, said, it's amazing what you can, you can accomplish if you don't care who gets the credit. Saul cared who got the credit. After all, it was Saul's army who pursued and defeated the Philistines once David had killed Goliath. Credit where credit is due, right? But Saul's wounded pride led him to conclude what more could he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. Like Captain Ahab in his quest to find and kill the white whale, Moby Dick. The quest to destroy David becomes a paranoid obsession with Saul. Well, David shows increasing favor with the Lord. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved in his house while David was playing the liar, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Saul sent David out of reigning parties on at least two occasions, hoping he would be killed. But God gave him protection and victory. Saul thinks his own family has turned against him. His son Jonathan becomes David's best friend. His daughter Michael was in love with David to the point of deceiving her father and saving David's life. David had more success against the Philistines than all of Saul's servants. Saul told his son and his servants to kill David. He sent three groups of men to capture David and then went himself, but was unsuccessful. He used his army for his personal vendetta, leading three military expeditions to capture and kill David but was unsuccessful. He attempted to kill Jonathan for his loyalty to David. And in chapter 21 and 22, there's an episode that reveals how far Saul had sunk in character and sunk in, sunk in his regard for the Lord. In that chapter, David alone, and now on the run for his life, stops in at the tabernacle and pleads for some food and some kind of weapon. And the priest, being told by David that he is on a secret mission for the king, gives him some bread and a sword, the sword of Goliath, and sends David on his way. And Saul, who is in the midst of accusing people of aiding David, hears that David has gone to see the priest. So he calls the priest and all the priests to him. And he accuses them too for conspiring with David to lie in wait for Saul. 
The priest is astonished. David is loyal, he says. I don't know anything about this. So what does all do? He orders the soldiers around him to kill all the priests. The shock soldiers refuse. Kill the innocent priests, servants of God? No way. So Saul enlists the help of a foreigner, and not only are the priests killed, but their whole town is put to the sword. Man, woman, child. All because of Saul's fear of one man. He's paranoid and thinks everyone is helping David and a town is destroyed because of it. So David is on the run for his life. And 600 disaffected men and their families join him and he becomes their leader. And to highlight the difference between Saul's character and David's character, the Bible recounts two occasions in which David, unknown to Saul, is close enough to Saul to touch him and could have killed him without anyone being the wiser. His men even encouraged him to do so, but he refused. Why? Because Saul was his king. Amazing. And then Saul comes to the end of his life. The night before a great battle with the Philistines, as a, as a last resort, he sees counsel from the Lord, but the Lord is silent. So Saul, desperate and in secret, goes to see a witch, something absolutely forbidden by God. And Saul commands her to summon the spirit of Samuel, who died some time ago. And when it actually worked, the witch is shocked. It hasn't worked before. And cries out in fear. And Saul says this to Samuel. I am in great distress. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has departed from me. He, is no longer, he no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams. So I have called on you to tell me what to do. And Samuel replies that Saul will, in fact, lose a battle, and he and his sons will be killed. And sure enough, in next day's battle, the Philistines rout the Israelite army, and Saul's sons, including Jonathan, are killed, when Saul sees this, he despairs. He says to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through. His armor bearer refuses. Therefore, Saul took his own sword and fell on it. And thus ends Saul's life. He whose first act as king was to lead Israel in battle, lead them to victory, as a young man, and now he dies in battle at his own hand. Disobedience to God, greed, pride, fear, paranoia, violence against God. A couple of weeks ago that the story of Saul is the most tragic story in the Old Testament. But it's a story that gets played out in our day all around us. And Saul's story reveals a very basic, very simple truth. Those who set themselves against God's word and against his chosen king are on the road to destruction. 
those who set themselves against God's word and against his chosen king are on the road to destruction. If only Saul had obeyed the word of the Lord spoken to him by Samuel and not surrendered to his own pride and greed. And even then, after he realized that David was God's chosen successor, if he had repented and honored David and either stepped down or at least groomed David for leadership, his end would have looked far different. But he didn't. And he died, and David came to the throne and was regarded by history as Israel's greatest king. Who is the main character in the book of 1 Samuel? Jesus once told his disciples that he was revealed in the whole of the Old Testament. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in the scriptures all the things concerning himself. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that testify about me. The Bible is all about Jesus. It promised Jesus it gives pictures of Jesus. It tells of Jesus' life and death and resurrection and ascension. It explains and proclaims these things. It is about Jesus. Genesis to Revelation, the whole thing. Every passage in the Bible ties into the great arc of the single Bible story. Man fell into sin. God works in history to reconcile us to himself and for eternity. And the center of this story is Jesus, the main player, the main character. 1 Samuel is a chapter in this story. And David is a picture for us of Jesus. I'll talk more about that in a couple weeks. He's not a perfect picture by any means. But he is the one that God had chosen, a man after his own heart, to be the ruler of God's people. So he is a picture of Jesus. Jesus, who was given the throne of David. Jesus, recognized to be a son of David. And so Saul, then, is a picture of one who sets himself against the chosen king of God's people. Who is Jesus? He's the center of all that God the Father has done and is doing in the world for mankind. When God wanted to reveal himself to mankind, he did it in Jesus, his son. We have forgiveness in Jesus. We have been adopted as God's children in Jesus. God has reconciled the world to himself in Jesus. So Jesus is our Savior, but he is also our Lord. God created the world in him. And you and I were created by him and for him. God has established Jesus not just as king, but king of kings and lord of lords. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. God has exalted him 
and given him the name that is above all names. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is the king of heaven and king of all the earth. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And the Bible says that the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and that those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. The gospel, the good news that we who have stepped out from under the lordship of God and we're facing judgment for that, have had our judgment put on Christ and can therefore stand in the presence of God, innocent, forgiven. This good news is not just for us to take or leave, to accept as an invitation to life. It is a gospel to be obeyed. And we can live under the kingship of Christ or we can rebel against it. But the fact is, Jesus is our king. He's your king. Whether you want it or not, he's king. And he will always be king. There's no escaping that reality. Jesus is the Christ. Christ is a Greek word. It means anointed one. Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one. Samuel anointed David as king. Christ has been anointed by God as a king of all kings forever. And all rebels we judge at the end of the day. That's what hell is. Judgment for rebellion against Jesus. So the most important question for you is, will you live under the authority of Jesus. Because if not, you have chosen the fate of Saul. Destruction. It's true that living with Christ as Lord has immediate benefits, and to live as if he were not Lord has immediate consequences. You lack the wisdom of God, and so life is inherently harder. Don't live under the blessing of God. But these consequences are nothing compared with the eternal consequence of rebelling against Jesus. And rebelling, by the way, is not just actively opposing Jesus, but also choosing to continually ignore him and his kingship, his rule. And the consequence of a life lived insisting that Jesus is not king of your life, the consequence is hell. Most of you in this room have willingly placed yourself under the kingship of Jesus. And you make mistakes. You sin. We all do. I sin. But we recognize it for what it is, and we repent at those who are under Christ's authority, So you're okay. You live in grace. But I'm guessing that not all of you have placed yourself under the lordship of Jesus. 
Some of you have chosen just to ignore Jesus. I want you to know how serious that is. Some of you are actually in rebellion against Jesus, opposed to Jesus. You will absolutely not let him be Lord. That, too, is a posture of eternal significance. So you need to make a decision. If you are a young person and you have heard all about Jesus, then I'm calling you now to make a decision. Receive Jesus as your Savior, but also respond to him as Lord. And I'll ask you to stand in a moment if you have made that decision. If you have been in the church for a long time and recognize that you have basically ignored Jesus and have refused him lordship of your life, I plead with you to repent. I'll ask you to stand in the moment as well. If you are a guest today or have just begun attending church, I challenge you with the reality of Jesus and call you to name him Lord. And I will ask you to stand in the moment as well. All of you who need to respond to Jesus today, I'll ask you to stand. Because one day, all of us will acknowledge Jesus as Lord. The question is, will we do it willingly today or do it in fear later? Saul's experience is the experience of all who refuse Christ's lordship. Life lived apart from Christ is a life lived with a disregard for the word of God because God's word, the scripture, is about Jesus Christ. It spirals into pride and self-absorption and result in your destruction. It might not feel like it, But if you're not serving Christ, you're serving something. Yourself, other things. But at the the bottom line is Jesus or other things. Serve Jesus. It's like eternal suicide. The fate that you yourself has chosen, have chosen. C.S. Lewis has famously said, that in eternity, there will be two kinds of people. Those who say to God, your will be done. And those to whom God says, your will be done. But to respond to Jesus, though, you would, you would discover it to be a decision not of sacrifice, but of joy. To respond to Jesus, to live under his authority, under his lordship, under his kingship, is to have life to the full. And you will find that the life that you have held on to for so long is nothing to the life you have in Christ. So now, youth, TBCers, guests, if you want to respond to Jesus... Right now, I will ask you to stand. And if, 
if you really feel you want to, but you're not sure, I, I think that's the Holy Spirit causing you to be all quivery. What do I do? If you need to name Jesus as Lord for the first time, then I want you to stand. Many of you have acknowledged Jesus and you live life and good on it. That's the way to go. And if you haven't, consider. We just heard. Consider. Think about it. Pray about it. God, I need to know the truth. I need to know the truth. And then give yourself to it. Don't let the fate of Saul become your fate. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, 